it takes. I'm Chase, again here with the fan favorite, David. How are you, my man? Chase, life is good. Can't complain. We've been busy. Family's good. The summer's getting under the way. Uh, yeah, it can't is. Can't complain. And man, uh, you know, we're sitting here June 7th, Wednesday. What, just yesterday morning in the golf world, you had some big news drop. Tell me what's going on. It sounds like the live and the PGA Tour are merging after a two-year battle. In an appointment yesterday, my phone had 300 and something text messages come through about it where people were giving their synopsis. But it's kind of wild to see two rival tours come together, work together, and hopefully it's good for the game of golf. But man, just crazy. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's the big deal, right? Because the Live Tour or whatever, is, that's all the Saudis right? And they bought all the players and, you know, trying to do a new concept. And the PGA, they were like, we'll never do that. And we'll never take that money and no one should ever play. Then the Saudis, I guess, what, added another zero and they're like, all right, it's cool. So (laughs) I don't know, man, it's a bad look for the tour. I know it's that Netflix series is going to be hot when it releases. Yeah. Season two of Full Swing on Netflix will be fun to watch to see. Maybe it's more than one zero. Who knows, but... <laughs> For sure. Clearly money talks and just Always. absolutely crazy. So, Chase, well, before we dive into anything, let's talk about our favorite thing, our disclosures. Nothing we say here is investment advice. We do not know your personal situation, your goals, or any other variable that we would use to create a unique financial and investment plan for you and your family. Chase and I are here just chatting and of course, you're welcome to reach out to anyone at Doxa Capital if you're interested in a tailored financial plan. Awesome. Thank you for doing that, uh, David. Now that everybody's hit the skip 30 seconds button a few times going over our, our golf talk, uh, we'll actually start this podcast, episode six, Doxa Takes. We have an amazing chat today planned um, with David. He is playing guest and co-host. Uh, we are going to hit a couple things on financial planning. And as a reminder, uh, David is the co-founder of Doxa Capital, where he has guided our clients through all their financial successes and challenges for nearly a decade now. He's a brilliant financial planner and is an expert in personal finance, helping families reach their goals while being smart and efficient in how you do it. David, you know I love these planning episodes because I get to relax, ask the questions, let you do your thing, and people love them. So what are the topics we have today? Yeah, we're going to talk about a couple things I've heard over the last couple months. And remember, what we talk about may not be specific to you. They're general conversations that we're going to have around planning because everyone's financial plan is unique. But the big thing we always hear about is how much cash do I hold versus invest? Uh, This comes up every time and there's no black or white answer to that. But we'll walk you through how we think about it. And second, of course... Kids, you and I both have kids, tax savings, efficiencies, and schools budgeting for large purchases, homes, cars, and items like that, how we kind of think about those for our younger clients. Man, I need to pay attention to that part. Much as my toddler eats, I need a whole savings bucket just for that, man. Man, I feel like with my twins, money gets allocated from one bucket to another and the Costco bill, holy mackerel, has doubled with <laughs> you have diapers. A Costco bucket. Exactly. <laughs> Need it. It's a phenomenal place. But before we kind of jump into the planning section, Chase, I know people still want to hear from you. What's going on in the markets? We've done this quick takes episode. What's been going on the last month? What do you see in the summer months coming ahead? 
Absolutely. No, great, great point. I'd love to. For starters, you know, that quick takes episode was really spurred on because of the whole debt ceiling thing, right? The media circus was in full swing. And now, um, as I said, right, we're recording this June 7th, you know, the circus is over. Uh, We said then it wasn't really a risk that was hitting our radar. Um, It never did. And it won't in the future. Okay. And and look, man, it'll be back in two years. Uh, That's how the political football works. The debt ceiling is used for the minority party to get something, right? They are, in the, they are in the majority. This is a mechanism that allows them to have a little leverage to get something that they want. That's why it exists. That is why it won't go away. And that's why we talk about it every couple of years. But as investors, the big picture context is needed. That's something we preach, right? And in this case, the U.S. will always pay its debts. There's literally no good that comes of not. So we save these show notes. You know that, David. I'll pull this same one, episode six. I'll pull it out in two years from now, and we can just read the same thing, right? So anyhow, that's over. And, you know, honestly, there aren't really um, many binary events, you know, like that coming up. Um, So the market can focus uh, back to earnings, the economy, um, you know, rightly so. Yeah, it seems like the circus actually never ends. It's just a different act with the media and being here in Washington and politics. Yeah, in your neighborhood, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, the markets have done pretty well this year so far, right? They've recovered from last year. Yet everything I see in the media and kind of here is gloomy. You want to unpack that real quick? Hey, what is going on out there? Yeah, David, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up, right? Sentiment out there is not great, to say the least. And I think there's two reasons for that. The first one, as the old saying goes, okay, there's nothing like price to drive sentiment. Last year, we had a tough, tough market. Just about every asset class was read for the whole year. And that makes people bearish, right? It just does. That's why the saying exists. That's why the saying is true, right? Price drives sentiment. Second, when the Fed raises rates as fast and as much as they did, you're supposed to be bearish, right? That's what history tells you to do. But here's the thing, man, right? Like markets don't care about what's supposed to happen, what you what you think should happen. They care about what is and what will happen. Right? Distinguishing that difference is so, so important. And you got to think about the trends in place right now. Okay, going into the summer, inflation is steadily declining. Energy prices are stable. Right? Oil is around 70s. Nat gas has come down a lot. Housing prices nationally, they're holding steady. Right? They're about up 1% year over year. You know, Some markets are down a little bit, some are up. Investment projects from local governments, industrial businesses, they're really, they're really solid. You, know, you have big themes, electrification, reshoring. And the tech industry, remember like we were talking about that in 2022, all the layoffs and they had hired too much. Well, those layoffs have really kind of stopped. And now you're seeing big AI investments really big. And oh, by the way, consumer spending is still solid, right? A quote from last week, Wells Fargo CEO. From what we see, things still are probably far stronger than we would have thought they would have been at this point in the cycle. There's still a fair amount of cash in deposit accounts. Consumer spending is holding up. Debit card spend is kind of flat. Credit card spending for us is up roughly 10%. It's slowing and is what we would expect. But again, still, you're not seeing any real meaningful declines. Again, that's from Wells Fargo just last week. So that's why we aren't in the bearish camp. 
the variables right now are fine. You know, they're not overheating, but also not deteriorating. Everything is finally calming down, normalizing from those bullwhip COVID years. You know, so that that's kind of, a, I guess, the highest level of how we see it, why there's so many folks that are that are still bearish. However, you just have to look at the variables and the, and the data that we're seeing right now. And honestly, I expect a calm summer, right? Which is exactly what people aren't expecting. You know, they're, they're waiting for that other shoe to drop. They've been waiting for that other shoe to drop for seems like a year now. Um, but look, man, our clients are in a great spot. We've been on the right side of this so far. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that deterioration can't come, right? It can. And we're watching for that. We're watching in the right spots. But we aren't going to be bearish for the sake of being bearish, right? When the trends just aren't there. That's well said. And I think those COVID years changed a lot in the markets. And you had items that were up one year, down the next. And not everything was normal coming into it. Coming out of it is still not normal. So I think that's a great way to not maybe look at the past to see what's going to be in the future. Nope, exactly. Keeping that big picture view has definitely been a big advantage. But this is not a economic Chase Talks for 45 Minutes podcast. Uh, the mic is yours. Um, let's go move on to planning. Um, before we hit the two topics that, that you said, I kind of want to throw in a bonus question to you, okay? Planning, I know, is the first and foremost thing that we do at DOXA. So why? Why is planning so important? Why does planning have value versus, um, hey, David, so I have a million dollars, invest it, all right? I'll talk to you later. Yeah, that's a great question. And here at DOXA Capital, we won't invest a dollar for anybody unless we do some sort of financial planning for them. There's a lot to unpack in each individual story. And like you take the story of companies, I take the story of individuals and families, put it with their numbers to create a plan. It creates their roadmap as we're entering into the summer travel months and you're going to the beach. You need to know how you're getting to the beach, right? You can't just get in a car and start driving. You need to know where you're going. And that's what the financial plan does. And from there, we can help our clients and prospects make the right decisions for them to get to where they need to go with as little risk as possible. I know on those road trips in the past, when I was younger, we would have like flip maps from AAA. Now we're using Waze. The nice part about a financial plan is with Waze, it updates for traffic. There are things that are going to come through your life that are going to cause a bump in the road. And having a plan in place will allow us to make any investment changes to get you where you need to go, when you need to be there just like driving to the beach each summer. Okay, perfect. And you know, I love that analogy, right? Summer, uh, summer's coming up. We're all taking the road trips. So let's run with that. Right. Um, and say, you know, your, your checklist for a road trip, obviously hit the first thing. Uh, at least that's what my wife always says is, Hey, I have to go to the grocery store to get road trip snacks. So, um, to have that most important question, how much cash do I need at any given time versus, you know, invest? Yeah, Chase, that's, that's a phenomenal question. I think that's the foundation of every road trip is road trip snacks, but it's also the emergency fund in a financial plan, right? So your emergency fund is there in case of an emergency. Flat tires, the car breaks down on a road trip. It's there to help solve a problem that is unforeseen. And people who don't plan to have a plan for an emergency ultimately fail 
because if they don't have that emergency fund, then we're having to sell investments at different times and we're selling it maybe when we don't want to sell an investment and that puts them further behind, stuck in more traffic along the way. So how do I look at an emergency fund? A lot goes into that for different individuals. It kind of depends on your job, depends on how steady of income you have. Are you in a sales position, right? So for different clients, simple way to think of it is three to 12 months worth of expenses, necessary expenses like your mortgage, our rent, your utilities, cell phone bill, internet, right? Your medical premiums, your medical deductibles, transportation, groceries, childcare if you have kids like us, and taxes, right? Those items you need to live every single day. So you need to have that set aside. And for each family, that number is different. For those people who have rental properties, do you have enough money to cover your mortgage expenses for the next 12 months? Because we saw where the government passed rules during COVID that you did not have to pay your rent. Well, not every person who is a landlord is a multimillionaire. They have expenses. And are you prepared for those? And guess what? If you're not prepared for those, then you might be selling those rental properties at a lower price and those people who are prepared can buy those items at the right time, take advantage of the situations in the market. So it is not the sexiest thing to talk about, but emergency funds, putting the air in your tires, it's the gas in the gas tank. It is all the things that you're going to need, the road trip snacks to get you to the beach, happy, Loaded up podcasts like Doxa takes, right? All of those necessities for the road trip is what you need. But let me throw this to you, right? Let me ask you it this way. Let's say for me, I was like, hey, David, I want to have, you know, 10 grand like at my disposal. So should I keep that in my checking account? Or is that like a literal savings account like at the bank? Should I look at a money market fund or T-bills? Right. So, you know, I want my emergency fund, but does that mean that I have to keep it in my checking? Like, how do, how do you think about it that way? Sure. Checking accounts are a great place to keep short term bills. Right. So if you have one or two months in your checking account, probably all you really need. If you want to look at there's some wonderful accounts out there, high yield savings accounts where you can actually earn four percent or more on your savings. Why not put that in an area where you can access it quickly. I would not put it in the stock market. I would not put it in high yield corporate debt or anything like that. Something safe, something short term. A CD is fine as long as you have enough to cover in the meantime. If it's a six month CD, you want to make sure you have at least five months in cash, right? Just in case. So, There's a variety of different ways to look at it, and that all depends on how much is appropriate for you and how many months is appropriate for your emergency fund. So you're saying like, if I need something tomorrow, I can get it, whereas, you know, fine, a CD may be perfectly safe, but it's like six months, right? So that probably doesn't count. No, I I would, it it depends as, as an overall portion of that emergency fund. If you have six months, then you can have that six month CD, right? The big thing too is I find with planning with a lot of our clients is 
when emergencies pop up, there are short-term solutions, right? You can use a credit card. You can Your medical bills don't come in day one. It takes a couple weeks, and you have time to pay them. But when they come due, you need to be able to pay them. If not, you're going to be in trouble, and you're always constantly behind the eight ball. So I would say make sure you have access to that money as quickly as possible. Nope, understood there. And, you know, so you said something about rentals. So I, I want to unpack this for a little bit, right? Because I know a lot of our a lot of our clients and people we talk to, they're interested in this market, whether they're in it or watching from afar, right? So you buy a rental property and you have your tenants or whatever, Airbnbs, that's all good. You pay a management company, let's say, you know, work with me on this example. So emergency fund would then count for this, right? Because you need, hey, something went wrong. And obviously, you know, you you have to fix it by lots of different state laws. But are you saying like, at all times have like enough to put replace an air conditioner? Or like $50,000? Like, like, you know, you know what I mean? How much are you really talking? <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely, right. And also, it seems like with houses, when one problem arises, multiple tend to fall, you uncover things as you get behind the wall. So first with rentals, if you have a mortgage on your rental property, 12 months of your mortgage payments, utilities, taxes, property insurance, then take your deductibles. Like if your roof goes bad, hey, you got a deductible on your insurance, make sure you have that in cash. 10 grand for an air conditioning unit, depending on the size of the house, great number to keep in there. So if you add those things up, that's the number I would say is where you need to be for your rental property. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So it's what you're telling me really, right? Like having an emergency fund or rather road trip snacks, they help my investments work, right? Because that is then the bucket that things can go wrong. I can hit that. Therefore, the investments can do their job. They can work on that side of things, right? Just as I have road trip snacks, they help my road trip work. So then when my toddler's screaming and I have a perfect bag of Cheez-Its, so it helps everything run smoothly. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Yeah, your uh, emergency fund perfect. is the foundation of everything. And Love it. Your, your financial house and those Cheez-Its are the uh, the foundation crucial. of silence <laughs> in the car. That's crucial. Um, okay, so you you hit this rental property thing and i know it's just talked about a lot so i, I want to dive into that a little bit more outside of the the emergency in the, in the short term right you know when do people think about this right people people ask me this question like you know you have random friends i know you hear, hear it all the time everyone oh i'd love to have a bunch of passive income they don't have to do anything ever right can you just kind of break this down you know for people and and hit hit kind of like, I guess the, the FAQs, uh, you know, mind you, when should you be like at what, at what asset level? Like when should you be thinking about having a rental property? How much should you lever it? Right. Meaning, you know, a mortgage like, Hey, yeah, I can like afford a second mortgage. Should I just do it? You know, so kind of throw some hurdles out. Um, and, and obviously we all know it's not black and white, but walk us through that. Like how you would think about that and talking to somebody that's like, Hey, I really want a rental property. And if I can have 15 of them for passive income, is that doable or is that, you know, a pipe dream? Sure. With the rental properties, there's it's not necessarily just passive income. There are or always 
issues that will arise with renters not paying on time, problems with the house. So way I would look at that, if it were me in my situation being conservative, is I would start looking at the rental properties as a portion of my portfolio. Once I'm making sure I'm maxing out 401ks, IRAs, have enough saved that is liquid in an investment fund where I kind of can say, okay, it is going to reach my goals and then look at rental properties. Is there a number that I can give you and say, oh, you need to have this net worth? The answer is no, because everybody's, again, situation is different. But what I would also look at is you don't want to spend more than 30% of your income on mortgages. So take your take-home pay each month, 30% of that, and say, I have a mortgage for my house. Do I have a mortgage for my rental? Do I not have a mortgage on my house? Do I not have a mortgage on my rental? But that's how much you want to allocate going towards properties. You know, I think that 30% rule probably doesn't work if you live in California or New York, right? I think that's important. Also your DC market, probably. True. Yeah, absolutely. Why the 30% rule is, is important. It allows you to save money elsewhere. And if you were able to continue to build your nest egg, then you can invest in different areas. What I see a lot here in the DC area is properties that yield three, four, five percent, six percent cash flow, right? They're not the best cash flow producing properties. So then you rely on appreciation. But then if I were to look at that, compare that to the stock market, is it worth moving the risk to and from? That's one thing to even consider, plus the extra work that it's going to put on you as the manager, or you're paying someone to be that manager. Looking elsewhere in the country, there's places where my wife is from in Indiana. You can buy a home for $100,000. It provides good rental income, right? But you want to invest in properties in areas that you know. For sure. No, absolutely. That makes sense. And I'll tell you one thing, uh, just to, to piggyback on what you said here. Um, you know, my, my brother-in-law is in this business and, and something that I, I tell people, you know, knowing him, I, I know enough about it. Right. And when I say in the business, I don't mean, you know, a side job, um, that, that is their job. Right. Uh, you have to do things where you do have an edge, right. Or where you have some sort of an advantage, and for them, you know, after school, that that's really where he came up, you know, um, in a big company and doing all of the uh, certain repairs, learning all the contractors, setting up, you know, things in a project man- management point of view. And then, you know, they, they took that knowledge, took that wealth of knowledge and then, you know, created their own thing. And they have the advantage because they can save money, right? That adds, you know, uh, one, two, three, four percent on you know your IRRs at the end of the day because he can do a lot of things himself. He knows the people that can do the things, right? He knows the in and outs of that market, right? So you know, think about where you have an advantage, right? Um, one of the things that that I've mentioned uh, to a lot of people: Hey, your kids in your kids in you know X college town, and you know that town, and you go there. Do you have an advantage over you know investing in Charlottesville real estate because your kid goes to UVA? Um, or you went to UVA versus David, who didn't? Yes, you do, right? You know, quite simply, you do. It may not be big. I'm not saying it is. Google works, right? And and just searching areas, that's fine. But it's still an advantage. It's something. So just always 
think about where your advantages are and, and where they lie because that can you know help you pull maybe another one percent that rr and that can make a difference so Huge also difference. david i was thinking it would be great if people are interested in this we could have uh my brother-in-law on that would be a good one absolutely i think housing affects everybody we don't have any clients or prospects that live in cardboard boxes yeah no that would that would be a good one I, i've thought about that I, I need to i need to see what i can bribe him with um <laughs> anyway so okay cool love that. that that was that was a great great discussion there on so we did emergency fund a little bonus on the rentals now next kids uh we're we're in this arena now man you do have to plan for them otherwise you're not having any money left um you know so look i i'll kind of start you off on the question of, you know, can you describe 529, what that is? Is that the best way to save for your kid? Or or is there something that I'm missing? <laughs> so, you know, that's a broad one, but, you know, run, run with that. Uh, at least uh, that's, I know, pretty helpful. Sure. Yeah. Having kids, having twins on my end, saving twice for college. 529s are great, but it depends what you want in your situation. I've talked to people over the last month who may not want to pay for their kids' college because their parents didn't pay for theirs. Others who want to pay for their kids' college. What's nice about the 529 plan is it not? it's not what it used to be. It's not just designated for college tuition, room and board. You can now use it K through 12th grade, so kindergarten through 12th grade, and pay for your kids' tuitions. And last year, which is really neat, with the Secure Act 2.0, you can use that 529 plan to save for your child's retirement in the future because after being open for 15 years, you could roll that $35,000 from that 529 plan into a Roth IRA. And what's great about that is that helps your kids in the future. If legacy planning and paying for your kids' college is one of your top priorities, it is a great place to start, and it's something we have started for my twins, who are almost nine months old now, just putting money away each month, doing it religiously to make sure that they have the ability to go to college and money will not be an issue for them. But if they get a scholarship, guess what? It goes to, can go to their retirement savings. That 529 plan also can go on and be passed down through generations to different family members. There's a lot there where people don't necessarily always think about that's what a great way to save. It's just for college. Well, it's not anymore. Um, and, you know, that is the tax advantage. So, I mean, why not, right? Sure. You also get, some states get state tax deductions or credits, which is always nice, too, for contributing to it. If you want to look at something shorter term, but 529 plans are also good longer term investments with that, right? If you plan on using the money for college, I know people who have done this is they don't ever look at the investments. They set it and forget it. Always important to review that with your financial planner, advisor, because as you get closer to needing that money, you probably don't want to take as much risk as I'm taking today when my kids are nine months old. And if the difference of being nine months away from needing it, we'll probably want most of that to be liquid and ready to go because we're going to be spending yep. it. Definitely. Um, okay, great. And so that's 529s, right? And and you kind of hit school there. 
you know, what else with kids, right? I guess my, one of the things I'll think of is, is health. And, you know, if you don't mind, uh, HSA, I think that's right. Can you, can you kind of explain what that is, how that works? Is that valuable? I, I guess rather I should say, right? Absolutely. Yeah. First thing you do when you have a kid is you want to make sure you add them to your health insurance, right? Not every health insurance policy has access to an HSA, a health savings account. So I would always recommend putting money into it because it's money that goes in tax-free. You can invest it, grows tax-free. And if you pull it out for medical expenses, it comes out tax-free, right? So it's kind of like that triple tax exempt in all ways. And so using that, if you have access to it, is extremely valuable. You don't necessarily need to pay for your medical bills today with it. If you save those receipts, you can always reimburse yourself years down the road. So it could potentially be a wonderful retirement savings tool and help fill gaps in income in the future. But again, not everyone has access to it. Depends on your health plan. And how you use it depends on your financial situation, whether it's better to use it today or to save it for down the road. There are advantages to both. And the big thing too, Chase, that I think I want to make sure we talk about with kids is I always see people like, well, we need a bigger house now. We need, we need to go buy cars. And that tends to be a very popular question coming from parents. Oh, you were just talking to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need a bigger house. <laughs> right. right. You need, I'm kidding. We, you need room for a toddler to run up and down and th- more things to destroy. Um, but I think that's also important is people, when they go through these life changes, I think it's really important to review where you're at because your budgets are going to change, right? You're, you're spending a lot more probably at Costco and the grocery store thanks to feeding a toddler who eats a ton right? Baby wipes, allocated money to baby wipes, diapers, baby clothes that they seem to grow through every other week. And we need more in this household that takes away baby shoes this morning. Literally (laughs) her shoes didn't fit. Right. Great. Right. Expenses that pop up that are really tough to plan for because you know, your life, right? My feet haven't grown in I don't know, since college, maybe (laughs) (laughs) you haven't grown since college. True. Probably even before that, to be honest with you. But not much has changed except for waistlines in my life and hairlines, right? So you allocate money differently. It comes from one pot to another. My job as a financial planner is to make sure that you are saving money, saving money in appropriate spots by not overspending in areas because you want things today. You need to make those decisions when it makes sense for you as a family, to buy that house, to buy that car. it's You can get yourself into trouble if you do things because you want it now. And in finances, nothing ever really happens quickly. That that makes total sense. Uh, as, as personally too, right? Like I said, it's we're in a small house and you got to take in, in all those all those factors and uh, and see how it works. So, you know, I think in general, what I'm what I'm hearing, right, is Obviously, like having a kid is a life-changing event. Having twins, that's, I don't even know <laughs> about it. Um, but it matters, obviously, a lot to your financial plan. That's that's clear. Review your budgets. Think about health things. And when I say that, really, I mean health options, I should say. And 
whether you, you have the HSAs or health insurance, right? I think that's fair. And then to add an education, you know, savings bucket, right? Or, or that, that 529 like you were talking about. Um, I think that's the, that's the high level. Do I have all that right? What did I miss? Absolutely. No, I think you, you nailed it all right there when thinking about families and kind of starting off your whole financial plan. Those things are always important. I think conversations with spouses, kids, and being open with a financial planner and advisor, that's extremely important to make sure everything matches up and works together. Right. We have long conversations right. about our clients making sure that the portfolio matches their needs, their wants. It's the more information, there's never too much information and there's never too many questions to, to ask. Right. Because we want to always make sure we dive down into what is right for each individual, their story, their numbers and their family. Right. So last question um, before we wrap it up here that I, I want to throw to is going to be a different perspective, right? Completely different, more from your side, right? So let's say that we're chatting. Um, first time you've talked to me and, you know, we're doing this plan. I'm, I'm all about it. Can't wait. And, I, and I'm going to say, I, I give you, give you everything that you needed, right? So all those normal questions you ask, you got all my information, you know, everything that I have gave it to you. This is my, my goals and stuff. You know, I, like I've told you that, right? So we're working under this assumption and you take that stuff, right? And you're back in the office. What do you think about at that point, right? Or what do you do at that point? Basically what's under that curtain, right? What, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? Phenomenal question. So the simple part is I'll take all the numbers. I'll put it into our financial planning software. That's kind of first and foremost to see where do you stand? What Areas might you be over allocated to? Where do you need to allocate money to go into which buckets? But then that's where the art form takes place. Looking at your numbers and then overlaying that with your story. I want to make sure you get to your destination in the most efficient manner. So I'm going to start looking at different saving strategies, whether it's our debt reduction, looking at different investments looking at ways to allocate capital more tax efficiently. I want to make sure we're doing all the things that need to be done for you in your situation to get you to where you want to be. Again, it's drawing out that map, creating a plan, a roadmap going forward to get you all the way to the beach. There are things that I'm thinking about and planning for that are years down the road and how that might affect you. Right, The tax cuts that were provided a few years ago are going to go away in 2026. So, hey, how is that going to affect you? How is that going to affect your income? Do we also make a different recommendation on how much are you spending on certain things today, knowing that you might be taking home less in the future? All those things go through my mind that I may not actually talk to a client about. But ultimately, when we deliver a final financial plan is hey, here is what we think is best and why we think it is best going forward and looking more than just one, two, or three years out. We want to look to get you to retirement, get you through retirement, get you to that legacy planning. Whatever the purpose of these assets are that you have saved, you go to work for, you work hard for, we want to make sure they're working for you in a very efficient manner. I love that. Mary, the story of the numbers, we do it on the planning side, we do it on the investment side. 
That's a great line. You know, we should put that maybe like below our logo or something. It should just be the tagline. Yeah, I think it's that people don't always marry together sometimes as much as they should. Sometimes people just look at the numbers. Sometimes people look at just the story. But on the planning side, and as you and I have talked about on the investing side, both are extremely important. And to pick good investments, to make a good plan, to make solid decisions for our clients All of that goes into account because in everyone's story is different and everyone's numbers are different. It's wild. No doubt. Absolutely. Cool. Well, um, I think we're probably about at time there. David, anything you want to leave us with? You know, what else can you throw on on the back of that that I I missed? If I have to give you one line or one sentence to kind of think about when it comes to financial planning, people who plan – put themselves in a position to take advantage of opportunities when they are created. Those who don't are always stuck chasing their financial freedom. That's a mic drop. We'll just leave it in the show. Yeah. <laughs> no, that that's perfect, David. I, I love that. Um, that is great in with, and that was perfect line. So we will do this again um, in a month. And I think I have a pretty good uh, guess in mind. Um, like I said, we'll do kind of a six-month, you know, assessment of, of the economy, what's going on um, in that one. And um, we will see where this takes us from there, right? Keep giving us your feedback. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Um, quick takes uh, or the long form. You know, we'll keep doing both of them. Uh, we, we really enjoy it. It's been a good format for us. So, David, I really appreciate all of your, your insights here, as always. Um, and you are definitely not off the hook. You'll keep them coming all year long. Uh, in years to come. So we, we love that. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we got to do this today. Yeah, Chase. Uh, it was good to be here as co-host and guest and to be able to talk more than you for an episode for once. It's kind of a different... Uh, uh, we got to switch it up, you know. <laughs> Keep people on their toes. Awesome. Keep Thank- them on their toes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. All right, guys. Bye-bye.